This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of The Quocast. And it's a bit of a different one uh, for many reasons, one of which uh, the status quo fan club convention organized by the uh, or by the fan club has just passed and uh, it was held for a fourth time at Butlins in Minehead uh, between the 23rd and the 26th of September this year uh, and a great time it was as well I went um, for the first time great experience lots of great bands and things of which we will hear from in this episode uh, but let me introduce the uh, the guest that's with me right now uh, Dan you and I met at the convention. We talked on this podcast before. Um, how was the convention for you? Oh, it was as good as ever. It was my fourth one. And um, it, even more special, I suppose, because of the enforced uh, break delay because of COVID. So it's three years since the last one. And uh, each uh, are special for different reasons, really. Um, seen some fantastic performances over the years, but th this one was really, really good. And there were some changes afoot because the thing to recognise here is that um, Butlins, this is not a Butlins event. This is a fan club event. So this is classed as a private event in their books. And uh, Butlins are part of the puzzle in helping make this a success because they lay on security guards and all things like that to make sure that people who aren't part of that party of uh, Quo fans um, can't get into the into the convention. And um, I was told there that the Reds, where it's normally been held over the last four times, uh, was actually bigger this time. They've expanded it. So it was, it, you look back at previous conventions and there's a big crowd of people um, this one, there was a crowd, but maybe not as quite so tightly knit together. I reckon they probably doubled the capacity it, it could fill in the room, but and that, that didn't really take the, the shine off it. It was still a very busy room and uh, the, the sound was good. Uh, you still have more options of where you could go and mingle. And if you wanted to go and chat in between bands or what have you, that, that was easy to do. But yeah, the venue, um, the security um, were absolutely superb. I have never been anywhere, and including previous quote convention years, where they were so friendly, amenable, and kind of actually got to know them. But I didn't stop and chat to them as such. But, you know, on the way in, they were like, you're all right. Good to see you again. <laughs> Enjoy the next gig. You know, they're really good. We all got there on a Friday and the first band on the bill were the opening act, uh, Heavy Traffic from Scotland. Had you seen these guys before? I had, yes. Um, a couple of years ago, they, they did a, a sort of double header tour with Sound of Status. They're really sort of good young guys coming through the ranks, if you like. And uh, they've matured since I've seen them. T to be honest, they, they just keep on getting better. And I particularly like how um, they're, they're really not afraid to tackle any part of the, the Quo songbook. Um, they do tend to go for around the sort of heavy traffic era. Um, but they are very, very competent players and you know, good entertainment. The set list, as you say, was very varied and fruitful, um, not least 
things like Thinking of You, uh, tracks from Heavy Traffic, including Jam Side Down, uh, which made me cry. Lots of memories att- attached to that one. Was not expecting to hear that on that weekend. And um, Old Red Blues, which I thought was a really nice sort of nod to Alan as well. And uh, Sea Cruise, which is this random thing. When you hear a Quo band go into uh, the key of C in that chugging notion, you're expecting rocking all over the world. You're not expecting Sea Cruise. And so that, I thought, was a really nice uh, kind of um, really rare glimpse i think into uh inner quo uh, and one man band as well which sounded brilliant with the full start at the front yes. at, at the start that was absolutely superb um very well observed <laughs> for reasons that will become clear later we will come back to uh heavy traffic but not before um we hear from jack who spoke to me recently about opening the event when you walked out onto stage on the Friday night, what was going through your mind as you were approached by, you know, hundreds of Quo fans? I don't really know. I mean, it was kind of a mixture of excitement and sort of nervousness. We'd been working towards it for so long with the band anyway. So it was kind of like you suddenly realize that's the moment you've been working towards. And, you know, for us, it was a big deal. You know, we've not got to play the convention before. So, yeah. It was very excited, and as soon as I turned around during Caroline to see everyone out there, it was kind of, I think I felt a little bit nervous in that moment, but uh, I got used to it as the gig went on, so, but uh, yeah, definitely excitement. How did you go about choosing the set list? Because you had some quite unusual things that I never expected to hear at a status quo convention, because you, you expect stuff from the 70s, maybe even sort of the early to mid 80s, but you don't expect like thinking of you or even sea cruise uh which is a really obscure cover version from the late 90s i mean you you have to have bought like deluxe editions in order to know that even exists yeah sea cruise came out came into the set quite late that was only within two weeks before we even you know basically two weeks before the event sea cruise got added in just because we thought we'd just do something different so reese sort of played the intro to rock and all over the world to kind of fool everyone into a sort of like, oh, we're gonna we're about to play this song, you know what's coming. And then just to hit them with Sea Cruise, we just thought it'd be fun to do. Um stuff like Thinking of You. I know Reese and Jay, they really like singing that one. Um it's a fun one to play. It's not too it's not the most complicated song out there to play, to be honest, but it's a good fun one. And that kind of opening lick that Reese is doing, that can get people jumping and stuff. So we thought, well, we'll try that. We think it's good to be different. And yeah, just our era growing up, because we're obviously quite young so our era stuff like heavy traffic you know the oriental jam side down all that stuff so that sort of we grew up listening to that sort of stuff as well so we thought well you know we're called heavy traffic we're obviously that sort of era so let's you know put those sort of songs in the set something different i know that uh obviously being the first band on you you don't particularly know i guess whether it made any difference or not but did you find yourself being recognized quite a bit as that guy from heavy traffic I know, uh, well, Reese and Jay always do because they know everyone. They just know, just they could look out and just tell you everybody's name like that. Um, so we certainly had people coming up to us the day after as we were walking about. And, you know, we even went to Weatherspoons in, I can't remember the name of the place, it's a nearby 
I can't remember if it was in Minehead or not, but anyway, we went to Wetherspoons and people in there were recognizing us and saying, that was a great set. You know, you guys did great. So it's very strange because it kind of, um, you kind of spend all weekend people recognizing you and things like that. And yeah, you, you don't feel famous, but you feel people recognize you as, as, you know, as the band, but people seemed quite nice to us. So that was the main thing was that people were nice. So that was Jack from heavy traffic talking to me, Jamie Dyer on the Quocast. And, um, anything I cut out from any of the interviews that you hear, I may include on future, uh, episodes of the podcast. The next band on the bill were dog of two head who, um, have had a little bit of a lineup change since they last played at uh, the convention. Chris has joined. Chris Fernie-Hugh is the Rick Parfit of the band. Uh, didn't you label him the Duracell Bunny at one point? <laughs> My word. Yeah, he he was legging it around the stage. I mean, to, you know, give him his due. Yeah, I probably would have been <laughs> if I'd have been given the opportunity. Um, but boy, it was clear he was enjoying himself up there. Again, a very, very competent band. Um, I had seen them before, yeah, different lineup uh, at a previous convention, but really glad to see that they've actually done their own originals album, which I picked up and been playing that in the car since. They played two tracks from that album, uh, Fool and Straight Through the Middle. Fool, I love. I love the sort of rockabilly essence of it, despite the fact that any Quo fan would say, well, it's sort of just standard Quo chugger or, or a can't be done type thing i enjoyed the set i was slightly concerned that there were some double ups with the previous band we were hearing some tracks again but the one thing i learned from listening to so many bands over the weekend was it didn't matter how many times you heard something every band did something different to it it was a different interpretation i see what you mean yes so certain bands say little lady featured a lot over the weekend that and roll over lay down i think were the two tracks that were played most and in previous is it was hold your back my legs really <laughs> remember that um but uh yeah for those two tracks it, it almost as if it was 70s quite at one point and then sort of 90s or the more up-to-date version in terms of arrangement and sound really yeah I, I definitely think so but uh dog of two head i'm sure will be back at a future convention uh even just for energy and i love the sort of raw nature of it and they went into some quite lesser well-known, you know, things outside of the Quo camp, things like Slow Train, which they said was the difficult one, which is not something really I think a Quo band should admit, or oh, well, that's a difficult, <laughs> that's a difficult one. Um, and I feel like they did a year as well. That was brilliant. I thought um, uh, Rick's vocals on that were particularly good. Um, yeah, very good, solid interpretation of that song. So we move on to uh the saturday and we had the signings in the morning with uh jackie linton and john coglan did you get anything signed dan um yeah i've got an amusing story for that so um jackie um linton uh i've got so much time for him and uh, I, I was unaware he was doing a signing session and i sort of randomly ended up at the front of the queue of it so I normally pick up one of his books um, when uh, with Anne. Not that 
it was sort of drummed into us, but we were reminded a couple of times that um, they've got a lot of people to get through, so you can only have one thing signed, uh, these. And so when I saw Jackie, he said, all right, mate, how's it going? What have you got there then? I said, oh, would you sign your new book, please? He went, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Now, Jackie is a bit deaf now. And um, he said, so what's the name? I said, it's Dan. And he went, Stan. I went, Dan. Stan? Dan. Back and forth. And he went, all right, okay, got it. And he wrote Stan. And he looked up at me and oh, no. I said, Jackie, it's fine. It so happens my little boy is called Stanley. So you signed a book for him. Don't worry about it. But he felt so bad. And he sort of did a sly look at me. Bear in mind, everyone's eyes are burning in the back of my head to get a move on down this queue. And he said, you got anything else I could sign? And it so happened that I just picked up from the marketplace uh, the sheet music for the Rockin' All Over the World album. And of course, Rock is rolling on there. I said, well, Jackie, look, you, you wrote this song on there. Why don't you sign that? He went, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So he just signed it, Jackie. And then he went, oh, hang on a minute. And he, he saw Jilly Coughlin walk past. And he just went, oi, Jilly! So she turned around like, what's up, Jack? You know, he he um, said to her, look, get your paw print on this. So she went, uh, okay. So she signed it and then he handed it to me and said, there you go, mate. That's the only one in the world. That'll be worth a few, Bob. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very grateful to him for that. <laughs> oh, genius. Genius. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get anything signed by Jackie Linton, but I did get to talk to him for the podcast. Thank you to everyone who made this possible. It's lovely to meet you. Jackie. Well, thank um, you. What does Pleasure. it mean to you to come to the convention? Well, I first saw the status quo. I was in America with a band called Savoy Brown, a blues band I was singing with, and they came over there in 1972 on a special deal. When we come back here, we supported them, you know. And as soon as I saw them, I thought, well, there's an old saying the Americans say, oh my God, they say, oh my God. I didn't, I say, that'll fucking do me. As soon as I saw them tuning up, get, you know, and I thought, I'll have that. I fell in love with them straight off. Because they're real, they're not blues, they're not country, they're not folk. Little bit of everything, but they're basically rock and roll. Not 50s rock and roll, which I love. Elvis and all that, you know, Little Richard, all that lot. They're English, they're British rock and roll. They're the only rock and, real rock and roll band in this country ever. I mean rock and roll, you know, like 70s, I suppose you could say. 70s. Fantastic. And, and, and I've got friends with all of them. Very, very friendly with all of them. They're nice. They turn out to be nice blokes. Ricky was born and bred just down the road from me in Woking. Alan and Francis in Wallington, over that way, about 10 months. So, you know, I fell in love with them. You know, I thought, we'd say, yeah, and they, we stay friends. Once you're a Quo fan, you're, you're always a Quo fan. Like an Elvis fan. Or... Tottenham, dare I mention Spurs, but you know, like you, you stick with your team. Yes. And Quo are my team. 
Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? I do. And I stick with them. And that's it. They're fucking... They've never let me down. There's only two of them left, unfortunately, but life. Yeah. Nice to. Um, you're immortalised on the live album. Oh, how, how does it feel <laughs> to to be part of of that? I mean, you well, wrote a couple of songs with them too. I wrote again and again. Yeah. And uh, rock is rolling, and that keeps me in a bit of pension. <laughs> that comes in a little bit, not a lot each year, but a little bit helps out, you know. So I'm 82 year old, so I'm really getting on. I'm really an old person. But uh, it helps me out, you know. Once, as, as I say, they're my team. That's a lot of family yeah. to me. Now it sounds like bullshit and mush, but it ain't. I've never met a Quo fan I didn't like. Never, never. They're all they're just all right. They mind their own business. I'm also a big Elvis fan, and it's the same. I've never met an Elvis fan I didn't like. You know what I mean, mate? <laughs> Quo, they're my boys. Carry on, go on. Yeah. What do you want to ask um, me? Well, you've got a new book out. Yes. Um, how did you come to write it? Well, it's the third, it's a one, two, three, it's the fourth one. It's the last one, I think. I'm getting a bit on now. So I used to like writing poetry and different things that's happened to me in my life. Meeting status quo, meeting all the different people in America. Singing with different bands and that and... Uh, I jotted all the little experiences down, you know, all the little anecdotes. And I make up little jolly rhymes, you know, like fucking about, you know, really. Um, and I decided to put it in a book a few years ago and it, it sold out. And I've done another. I only sell two or three hundred of each one, but it's enough to cover the expenses. And, you know, it's enough. So this will be the last one though, I think. I won't do any more. There's loads of pictures of me and Rick, which I had at home, you know, like when he used to come round and visit, which are rare, of course, because no one else has got them. He's in me house. So I put all them in. And my wife helps me, Vanessa. She helps me to all the getting together, you know, printing and everything, you know. And Yvonne and Paul that run the... You know them, obviously. Fan, fan club. They keep him alive, don't they? Mm -hmm. they, they keep Quo alive. Definitely, yeah. They're fantastic people. They absolutely love Quo, you know. And I don't think they ever come out with a lot of money. They come out, they cover themselves. Mm -hmm. But they're not in it to make bloody fortunes. They just want to put a show on, you know. And as long as they don't lose too much. And I think that's nice. It's lovely to meet you. Um, Thank you like very you much. say, everybody's keeping the Quo name alive. Um, Try to, yeah. I always will. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I think they're fantastic. Uh, they're a rock and roll English, English rock and roll band. Not American rock and roll. Mm -hmm. English. There isn't any others. You tell me another one, there ain't. They're either blues or heavy metal or fucking country or they do a bit of everything yeah it's a very it's a mixed bag mixed bag mm -hmm. but basically once they start they're rock and roll british rock and roll well, nice to meet you mate you.
Thank you very, very much. That was me, Jamie Dyer, talking to the legendary Jackie Linton for the Quocast. Now, to go back to the signings, I do feel like um, as time went on, it was just a get one thing signed, no photos. Um, that's what it was like when I had something signed by John Coglan. I'd taken along my copy of uh, John Coglan's Diesel. Um, I remember a couple of nights before thinking, what shall I get signed? What shall I do that? And I was like, well, John Coglan's Diesel. That makes sense. That afternoon was, of course, the uh, the drum masterclass by Jeff Rich, was, which was really interesting. He did uh, the drum masterclass that he's been doing in schools for 20 plus years. Uh, plus, he did a little Q&A at the end, which garnered some very interesting questions. <laughs> I thought it was fascinating um, seeing that. I've been wanting to see one of his drum masterclasses for years. And in a really nice way, he came, it came across a bit like a school assembly. <laughs> yes. Um, very, very informative and, you know, getting everyone to join in. And it, it, the guy's just a natural entertainer. And his stories and anecdotes were, were so good. I never knew, for instance, I've, and I've got pretty much every Quo book going, and I'd heard no mention before that um, in the mid-80s he'd been on a jam session with ACDC. Um, I didn't know about his drum snare um, being uh, owned originally uh, by uh, Rick Allen from Def Leppard. Um, I, I knew that he'd helped uh, Rick after his accident get back up and running, but I had no idea that he'd given him this snare. And then also to find that snare had been used by Lars Ulrich from Metallica on the Master of Puppets album, as well as every single Quo recording that Jeff did. Um, it must be worth a, a small fortune, I should think. I should think so. Yeah, I, I remember feeling very, wow. <laughs> I don't think Jeff really has, has spoken about his quo years um, since leaving, really. He's he's appeared in a couple of documentaries, but he's not really uh, said too much. And I think maybe it is time he wrote a book or at least told somebody, Jeff, um, I'm still available. <laughs> I'm still available. You can still you can tell me all these things. Um, I could write them down, perhaps, perhaps maybe put them in a book. Um, but uh, no, his drum master class was really good. I loved the mama and daddy thing he did at the beginning. And then he got somebody out to do it. And she turned out to be someone who's actually had drum lessons. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It's, and you can't help wondering whether that's ever happened to him before doing it in schools. Because you know what happens with, with teachers and stuff when uh, somebody says, oh, anyone want to have a go? And they go and pick the best one to do it. Um, but the Q&A session was interesting. People asking him about um, many things, including why they recorded Tommy twice. Uh, <laughs> which <laughs> That was a very diplomatic answer he gave. I have no idea, mate. <laughs> I just sat there and played. <laughs> yeah, he was like, well, maybe it was two different mixes like no it's definitely two different performances <laughs> two different performances of the same thing that was interesting and then about an hour and a half later um was time for the next band uh, did you see quo no uk i did yes i thought they were really good you know competent players and so on i don't want to say it was like a bad set nothing was at all it was just um compared with the others 
they're sort of the band that I've got sort of least memory of. And that's not to say that I wouldn't go and see them again. They, they were really good. I spoke to them afterwards, um, you know, and, and they're really nice guys, um, which I shall play the listener in a minute. Um, what were you going to say? Sorry. Just to ask you, if you could prompt my memory on um, if they played any of the more obscure numbers. They did someone's learning. Yes. Yes, they did. I do remember the start of uh, in my chair, which um, I don't blame the guy getting cramp on that because I do. <laughs> it's a fiddly one, that. The listeners are going to hear my interview now uh, with Quono UK. This was outside the Inn on the Green. Obviously, it's outside in a place. There's people around, holiday goers, and a very loud child. And I will do least edits as possible because it was pretty, pretty funny. Um, yeah. So I'm here with the guys from. <laughs> from <laughs> How does it feel to be at the convention? It's uh, I feel very honoured to to actually have done it at last. We've been coming and watching all these years. Um, yeah, fantastic. Really glad we did it. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed every minute of it. But we always do enjoy it, of course. I've got to say, yeah. the guys that did the sound and on stage stuff really helped settle us. You know, it was all a bit nervy. We were doing what did did but they all come along, they even stuck all your stuff down with tape. It was wonderful, wasn't it? It just really settled the band. And I think everyone that's been involved with it has created that sort of very amiable, happy-go-lucky sort of feeling about the place. Would you say? I would. Uh, the, the, what, what the, the backstage crew, um, obviously very professional and settled us down really nicely. Because it's a bit nerve-wracking sometimes when you're doing a, a big sort of gig. That was a massive help. We've been waiting around for years to do it, watching all these other bands. Yeah, we can do that. We, oh, yeah, we should be away then. We can be up there. Then you are up there. Until it hits the fan. <laughs> Until it hits the fan. <laughs> How did you go about designing the set list? Because you had a couple of surprises in there. We always try and sort of do the curve, you know, the, the bang at the beginning, bit of a break because we're all old in the middle, and then far, apart from the new drummer. We try and get that early 70s feel, that's what it's about. Yeah. And when we're in the pubs, it's about trying to give people an impression of what it might have been like if you'd have seen them then. We're not trying to imitate everything they do or anything like that. It's just, this is what you might have heard, and it might have looked a bit like this. If you squint a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the set list, it's quite hard in stuff like this to try and find the song that you think everyone might like, but not everyone else is going to play. And someone's learning, just luckily for us, we've been playing it production music since, the, since we started playing. And everyone just, it really goes down well with other bands and stuff like that. It's, it's just fine. And then you flip in Living on an Island, because not many people do Living on an Island. And we'd lost our keyboard player, and that really fills in the gaps on that song, didn't it, you know? So we had to try and sing it, and it, you know, it was there-ish, <laughs> wasn't it? It was there in there, yeah. yeah, it's another one, isn't it? It's, 
the set, the set this is hard. I think a lot of the bands are find the same thing, you know, and I just think everyone's done a good job of trying not to pick the obvious. And you go have the obvious, because that's obvious. Obviously. And what's Obviously, not obvious yeah. is picking the unobvious. <laughs> Out of all the obvious stuff, there is the pick. Which isn't quite so obvious. It went a little bit spinal tap in the middle, didn't it? Because you, one of you had cramps. That was me. Yes, yes. thanks for that. Thanks for bringing that up. I had, <laughs> I had quite bad cramp in my left hand, which, um, don't ask him how he gets it. <laughs> and I could barely push the strings down to, to get a note, you know, it, it was just nothing I could do, literally nothing I could do, it just happened, it doesn't normally happen, so that all the ladies, very disappointing, and it, Ruined a couple of songs for me personally, but um, the lads carried on stoically and uh, we got through it. He felt really bad, and uh, I think people don't understand really. Uh, they sort of walk out and go, oh, you know, they've all got this great thing. We had to see, see the aftermath of this when we came up, and Mark wouldn't basically speak to anybody for probably an hour because he's gutted for himself, you know. Um, this. Got for the band, yeah, that's not it. for me. That's right, and and people don't see that side of it. You know, they go, oh, you know, they didn't play that very well. They don't, but it's, you know, and you swapped parts. I yeah, right. I had to suddenly step in and do the intro of uh, in my team, which you probably noticed. onto the strings to make the notes, it was almost impossible. We'd, but then it'd go for a minute or two, or you know, five minutes, and then it'd come back again. And I'd been drinking plenty of water all day, and I, I just don't know. But there you go, it's, that's life, isn't it? The drummer of Chrono UK has just been sat here very quiet, doing your best John Coughlin impression. Um, are you normally this quiet, or is it just, the way. It depends how many pints I've had, really. Uh, yeah, I'm just a quiet person, really. Just... Tilly's had a couple of pints. Very good drummer. He's 21 years old. Very, very good drummer. Um, changed the dynamic of the band slightly with the with his father, who was the drummer before. He's a very powerful drummer. Uh, and Tom's come in, and he's he's more jazz style, I think. And um, it's just changed. Uh, to the dynamic of our band a little bit and gives us a chance to play more of the early stuff more authentically we think anyway I expect loads of people have got an opinion on that but they've got to have their opinion do you think that you were put on at the right time because it was at four o'clock in the afternoon which is quite a, early yeah a bit of a graveyard shift we thought that one but you know people have just gone to see Jeff Rich all gone then we're on but it is what it is you know they, they, Grateful to be given the opportunity to play here, really, by Vaughan and the team. You earn your spot at this sort of thing, don't you? You earn your spot. You can't just turn up and go kabam. And I've got no problems with the time that we played at all. It's good job it wasn't any later. <laughs> We're only going to have a couple of points, weren't we? You know. 
as long as one person's bouncing and having a good time, then you're doing your job, isn't it? That's, yeah, absolutely. And, and we had a decent crowd there, you know, obviously not as full as it was later on, but... Um, but they were going for it and en apparently enjoying themselves and uh, clapping along, singing along. And so the fact we played at four o'clock, I don't think really mattered. And if the people in front of you are enjoying themselves, like Tom said, you know that's, that's you're doing your job. You want to see people tapping their feet, but it was a bit hard because there was a fence in the way. <laughs> that was Quono UK talking to me. Jamie Dyer for the Quocast. Right, let's move swiftly on to the next band on the bill, who were the Belgian Quo Band. Um, the Belgian Quo Band were proper party band vibe, really proper party band vibe. Um, and that that's a good thing, right? Because everybody's up on their feet. They started with the Proposing Medley, which was really different i have seen people say they had no charisma but i thought they had buckets of charisma i thought there was loads loads of charisma there i really enjoyed them um i remembered um uh, dear john that they played with most of these bands it's the sort of standouts of oh i haven't heard that played live uh, as a set piece if you know, might be in a medley or something but um to try and tackle something a bit different um, I seem to recall they did a good version of that. But um, yeah, but good band. Um, and of course, Leon Cave made a, a guest appearance at the end, which was nice. That was during In the Army Now, which, you know, was cool. It was Leon's birthday, so he got to play on his birthday. <laughs> um, I spoke to Wes, uh, the drummer, normal drummer for Belgian Quo Band afterwards. And it was interesting. Obviously, we've spoken on this this podcast before, and he said to me, he said, so what didn't you like about um, the set? And I thought, oh, that's not really my style. I don't really, you know. And he said, well, I'd much rather know what you didn't like rather than what you did like. Um, and I think I just mentioned in the army now. Uh, I think it was the only time over the weekend it was played. Uh, it's not really that that popular and maybe it slows down the set a little bit and he explained to me that in europe in the army now is the song everybody knows not rocking all over the world and so that's a very popular song in europe um and that's why they play it and actually once he explained that to me that's why i'm glad that they played that song and i think that's one thing i'd noticed over the weekend was that I get the impression from previous years that there was a really big focus on Frantic Four. Yes. And this year seemed to be the opening up of the Quo Vault and hearing a lot more kind of varied bits and pieces and doing versions of things that maybe haven't been played before and in ways that haven't been done before. So that was the Belgian Quo Band. Uh, who I hope do come back to the convention in a, in a future year, because it'd be very interesting um, to see what they can come back with after having experienced it. Because I think um, going to a convention like this, uh, I, I think must change a band, certainly. So without further ado, Big Fat Mama. 
I have been waiting to see this band for years, seeing a little rehearsal tape on YouTube. I just couldn't get over the quality uh, that they they play at. They just have such a, they've got it for basically the very rich scene that is between 1971 and 1975 in the Quo universe. They do not stray beyond that. So the earliest track I think they played uh, was Railroad, and the latest would have been Little Lady. If you could transport them back in time and put them up against Quo, I think you'd be hard-pressed, besides the vocals, but the music, the vibe, is absolutely spot-on. Um, so they did not disappoint at all. They made it look so easy as well. They played Fine, 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 which caused the Frantic Four never tackled live. Uh, that's quite a complex solo on there. Uh, just every song went down an absolute treat. Very good band. Yeah, you're, you're right. Got that early to mid-70s thing down. Ola, the drummer. I was speaking to other drummers that were there in bands, and they were like, he's like Coughlin. Um <laughs> He's like old-school shuffle drummer. And the amount of stage presence, I mean, especially at the end, to do like Bye Bye Johnny, and it's Ola doing the vocals. And at one point he was, after doing a drum solo, he stood up on the drum kit and, you know, had that crowd in the palm of his hand. Uh, it was a joy. Um, some of that set I was outside for, and it was like listening to the Frantic Four. The version they did um, of Reason for Living that had Aidan Johnson guesting um, on piano it, he seemed to be the the guest on he's the only piano player keyboard player the whole weekend um but it, that version was absolutely brilliant the the slide guitar playing was just spot on yeah uh the the sound that came at because there's that that bit the the difference in guitar from the previous was like he's using some kind of pedal here and I can't work it out, but it's like they've listened to the record and they've gone, we need to get that as close as we possibly can. I did speak to some people afterwards who were like, you know, they basically told me they had their shirt off during that performance <laughs> <laughs> because it was just so hot and so sweaty and so many people just going up and down and kind of going back to the 70s. That's Big Fat Mama. I'm sure they will be back once again. And the evening ended with John Coughlin's Quo. And I should say this was billed as John Coughlin's Quo's last gig. Um, he isn't retiring. He is going on to do some stuff, including a jazz drumming thing to do with, uh, with Quo compositions. And this um, performance was kind of split into three segments, I felt. Segment one, you had an acoustic type thing, uh, which was kind of like everybody singing along and, and John was sat at the front on bongos. Then you had segment two, which was John went off and the guys did old school quo stuff. And then John came on to do um, sort of mid-tempo versions of uh, a few select quo tracks. And then that was the end. Um, what did you make of it, Dan? Um, I had seen um, John Coughlin's quo probably five or six times over the years um, with different lineups. 
and always uh, a good night. Uh, this one, it did seem like end of the road. And uh, I thought throughout the day, like, oh, you know, what's it going to be like? Because end of an era, really, with it. I hadn't seen the uh, set with the sort of acoustic, uh, quiet segment uh, at, at the start. And we got to hear some songs never heard performed live before. Lackey Lady was in there. Um, I thought that was good. So for something different, yes. But after this sort of 100 mile an hour Big Fat Mama set, it was, it seemed quite strange that that you were building up for this. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is a very, not somber, that's not the right word, but it was just a more quiet, chilled segment. When um, the band then went into the middle piece of the set, everything was turned up a notch, as you'd expect. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And um, I recently heard that uh, the band is continuing under um, that uh, setup, um, being called the Quo Connection. Obviously, that connection being John Coghlan originally. Um, but it's really good that they are carrying on. I would love to hear some original material from them. Um, you know, if essentially the, the bones of uh, the song Lockdown uh, came from those guys. I'm very keen to hear more. So um, I really enjoyed that. And then we had the final bit there that I think the first one they did was April, Spring, Summer on Wednesdays. And John's drumming on that was there's it's just something about it. I don't think another drummer could do it as he does. Uh, that for me was was the highlight of that set. Uh, and then it, you know, went into the whole. When, when they played "Bye Bye Johnny," I thought, "That's it. There's no encore. Hang on, what's going on?" But then um, they came back for "Rocking All Over the World." Aidan Johnson on stage again, who's been touring uh, with them recently, and it was a, a really good sort of fun you know, send off doing "Rocking All Over the World," really, and a really nice last gig for that band. I, I know what you mean. Um, I felt sort of a tinge of sadness, but I think it was always going to be like that. The fact that John is continuing to do other things, I think maybe it was time for that. And um, I look forward to seeing where he goes with that. Do, do you think maybe they should have jigged the schedule? Maybe John should have been on a little bit earlier? Well, yes and no, because I think you know, he deserves the respect really there um i thought it's so fitting that that band should finish at minehead um you know john's touring career whereas you know the first run of shows um uh, as a res residency that he would have done with the specters you know, in minehead so it seemed seemed fitting um i don't know mixed feelings about that i, I think he, it was right for him to headline it yeah yeah, I think so. Um, I enjoyed that acoustic session. I, I thought that was very good. Um, everybody singing along. I look forward to seeing the the DVD footage of that, if if any of that segment is included. Um, certainly, I know there's been people on on forums that have said which tracks they should be included. I think this should probably be a double disc at this point, especially if it's got John Coglan's quo, the full gig on it. I think that. That could be a that could be a goer. And while we're on the subject of the convention DVD, as people know, um, all of the bands were professionally filmed over the weekend. One of the people responsible for this 
is Andy Gamble. I've spoken to Andy on the podcast before, and it was great to meet him in real life for the first time at the convention. Um, lovely to meet you, Andy. Um, tell me, your, your job must be quite difficult because you're having to navigate a lot of people and obviously there's a band in front of you. I mean, yeah. what, what have you had to do this weekend? I think, I mean, logistically, it's, a bit, it's quite difficult because we've got so many bands to fill and trying to, as well, get the set list from all the bands because if we're making a compilation DVD of the event, obviously, there's going to be a lot of repetition. So, it's, and as well, it's, it's with a lot, so much time. I mean, we're talking four and a half, five hours worth of quote tribute in a day, you know, and it's, you can't film it all. Uh, I mean, we do leave some cameras rolling for the bands to have a record of it. Um, but it's, it's just, yeah, logistically getting the set lists, choosing which ones are best, going to be best for the fans and what they want to hear. Um, and we've got, we've got five cameras on this. Um, and then we've they're also 24 track recording the audio for all the bands as well. So they're going to get, they're going to get a good, a good record of everything. Um, Which we saw a few years ago with, hmm. um, with States, status quotes yeah. where they released That's right. a DVD. Um, who owns the copyright to all that material? Uh, well, we we own the copy. We we own the actual footage, right? Uh, and if if the band pay for it, then they will they will own it. Um, they obviously have to pay loyalty rights for the songwriting uh, for the for the tracks that they use on the DVD. Uh, but you can get you can get like a flat rate that you pay to cover the costs of that for for a sell through DVD. So that's that's what they tend to do. And how long will it take you? from filming all the stuff this weekend because like you say there's there's got to be what 12 yeah. 18 hours worth yeah, of, yeah. of footage how long is it going to take to create the dvd i'd say i'd say it'll probably be a couple of months a couple of months to, to sort it all out and they say we'll pick we'll pick 15 20 minute sections really the biggest job is waiting for the bands to mix their own audio because they want to mix their own audio obviously because you know musicians like their own thing don't they so it's waiting for them to give us the audio back so we can sync it up uh, again with our cameras and put it on the DVD. But I mean, I, I, would, I would say it's probably early next year when it comes out, and maybe, maybe for Christmas. How does that work when, obviously, Sound of Status yeah. couldn't yeah. be here, half of them couldn't be here yeah, for, yeah. for reasons beyond their control, Yeah. and Heavy Traffic are going to have a lot of guests. Mm. How does that work? What with from a filming perspective, yeah, yeah with difficulty because we've only got a limited number of cameras. It was similar last night with John Coglan's Quo. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not it's not a high value production. We haven't got seventeen cameras. We've only got small cameras, but we just got to do the best we can and cover it. And and at the end of the day, it's more, it's you know, this convention's like a family thing, isn't it? You know, we're not we're not we're not out to make the biggest high budget, mm-hmm. you know, production. We're not filming Pink Floyd or anything here. It's just it's just a good record for the fans to have of, of the the conventions, you know. And how much has the convention changed since you started? I mean now it? well you, well we can see in here we're in this new in the new Reds uh, that's been renovated over the uh, lockdown period. It's a lot bigger. A lot bigger now. Uh, it's it's could take a job to fill it I think it's huge isn't it um, but yeah it's good it's a bit more challenging from a filming point of view because it's a bit bigger but 
Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's all modern now, isn't it? So it's looking good. So, what's the name of your company that's making this production? Uh, my company is AVP Media. So we do we do various things for Quo as well. We've just done the recent deluxe editions. Uh, we've remastered those heavy traffic and riffs. So we do a bit for Quo and Universal, uh, as you probably heard in the podcast that I did. Uh, and in fact, there might be some news coming out soon. So I might have to give you a shout to do another podcast. So, uh, but I can't say anything at the moment. No, I think I know the thing you're referring to. Yes. I think we've spoken about we it have. in private. We have. But uh, I, I will let you get on because I'm no sure problem. you're very busy. And how, how long does it take to prep this stuff? I mean, it doesn't take long, actually. So we came in on Friday morning. Uh, we came down Thursday night, came in Friday morning and set up and checked all the sound feeds and everything and got all the cameras and the camera position. The biggest problem we've had actually here is there's a hell of a lot of vibration on the stage for the We've got we've got a camera on the drums and we're getting some real vibration problems. We're trying to like pack, damp it down with sandbags and things to make it stable. But we're, we're getting there. It's going well. So that's Andy Gamble talking to me, Jamie Dyer, for the Quocast. Um, so let's move on to Sunday. Uh, did you get anything signed by Jeff? He was doing a signing session. Um, yeah, I, I did. I picked up um, his last album he did with Triple J. Um, and uh, yeah, I sneakily got him to sign another book as well, <laughs> but um, also met Leon um, uh, that that day as well. And uh, he he asked me if I'd seen uh, Quo recently, and I was able to fill him in that in February I did. Admittedly, it had been a few years since I'd been to see Quo. The previous time would have been on the last night of the Electrics tour, and um, I said I've got to tell you a quick story uh, though that at that gig in February, uh, I took my boy Stanley along, uh, who had just turned eight, and he was absolutely blown away. Uh, also, because um, not only the music, but the band, we we're in row three, at, 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 right at the front, uh, in the middle, um, the band kept on you know, giving him thumbs up throughout the performance. And um, so the next morning, he said to me, Daddy, you can tell status quo, they've got a new fan. So I said, Leon, that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely the first band on the bill that day were quode who were a tribute band uh that do most eras of the band and uh, i had a chance to talk to them in their dressing room uh before the event here's me talking to three of them or is it four so you are first on the sunday so that's what 4 p.m are you daunted by that prospect uh, no, I'm more excited, I think. It's been a long time coming, so uh, yeah, we're trying to make the most of it and soak up the atmosphere. And uh, yeah, We're really, really looking forward to it. We're absolutely stoked for this. And I should note that Gary's not here at the moment. Where do you think he is? At the bar. He's a lead guitarist. He's fiddling around yeah. with, with some knobs on the, on the stage, I think. <laughs> Probably. Or at the bar. Or at the bar. Or at the bar, yes. yes. Yeah. So you're, you're planning to play the Hello album in full. Is that... So you've got like 4,500 times at the end of that, I'm assuming. And is that as that was played or with some embellishments from later? Well, of course, on the album, it fades out. So we can't fade out. No, and uh, so we've got a very special way of, of, of closing that number and then going into another one, Jamie, but I don't want to tell you what we're going to do because that would spoil the surprise. 
Not for listeners, because they're not going to hear this for about a week after you do it. But. Very possibly, <laughs> but we then go into another song from another album, and that's all I'm going to say. Awesome. Um, Woody, you play in another tribute act as a different role. Yep. How does that differ from this? Like, what is the, what's the difference? So, obviously, it involves learning all the different parts, but it hasn't really phased me that much. Because when I was with uh, the Quo experience and I was the frontman role, I also had to do the, the Rhino roles alongside for the Matt Letley shows. So it's just learning a different part, remembering it, and you know, going out and having fun, really, isn't it? Sounds like once you grow a few arms and hands, you'll be able to do the show yourself. Yeah, I'm like an <laughs> octopus, mate, one day. <laughs> We've got him learning the keyboards as we speak. <laughs> yeah, how long have you been in, in Quo? In quote, yeah. uh, since the start, mm-hmm. um, it was me and um, and Mick, the chap who was the predecessor of Woody, uh, who came up with the idea, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he suggested it, and I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, let's do a quote tribute. And um, we did an audition and found Gary, and uh, and we had a drummer, and we've had several drummers since then. Uh, number five, Stephen. Five or four, it seems a little bit cloudy in people's it's, memories. It's the murky, the murky. Save part. the best till last, let's just say that, shall we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, the last so one to join the band. band. You're the last You're one to join the band, yeah. And I'm guessing this isn't the biggest crowd that you've played in front of, but it must be the most ardent in terms of fans. Well, it could be the largest, um, it could be the largest one that we've, that we've, uh, that we've played to, actually. Um <laughs> <laughs> Gary's here, everyone. Hello, yeah. how are you? All right. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good. Yeah, how how are you feeling about uh, this evening? What's the? Uh, I'm all right now. Now, now we've now we've now we've got set up, and um, you know we've managed to get some sound coming out. It feels all right. It's always it's a sitting about that does your head in. I think you know. Mm-hmm. Now we've, it's, we've sat around a lot. We've today. sat around a lot. We also drunk a lot, and my result might. Throat's a little bit, um, um, you know, a bit croaky today, but we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Well, watch, watching all the other bands as well. Have there been any highlights for you? Well, big yeah. fat mama, big fat mama are just incredible. insane. Um, we've loved, we've loved watching the bands that we've now become kind of friends with as well. The Belgian Quo band are just yeah. most fantastic people, and we we've done the front for them. Yeah, um, supporting yeah. them. Um, so I think yeah, last night was a really great, great night. But listen, they've all been great. Heavy traffic, yeah. fantastic first night as well. I mean, we don't, yeah, it's difficult not to mention all of the bands. All of the bands have been great. Yeah, they've all got their different sort of angle to yeah. them. They've slightly different styles. Yeah, that uh, keeps it interesting. Yeah, who, who was who was the um, was it Quo? No, I think they, they they had a fairly unique take on it. I, I thought. Yeah. Um, you know. And it's it's sort of tells a story of um, you know how, how the songs can be interpreted even within something as rigid as trying to tribute the original band. You know we don't sound anything like them. They don't sound anything like us. We don't sound like Big Fat Mama. They don't sound like Heavy Traffic. You know, but we're still doing the same you know core group of material in in, in the same. Um, you know, it's a, di- it's a diverse field, isn't it? Indeed. That was me talking to uh, Quode, a tribute band uh, that played on Sunday uh, at the Status Quo Fan Club convention. Uh, Dan, what did you think of Quote? I, I, well, I'm going to say it's for all the bands, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really good energy. Um, their front guy, 
there, Rossi, I thought was was very good. Uh, he's got a similar guitar to I've got, the same maker, actually. He's got good taste. Um, they tackled um, Hello uh, in its entirety, and that was a first um, for the, the convention. I hadn't seen um, anyone do that, an entire album back to back. No pun intended. But um, to hear, um, and it's better now, perform live, which... You know, for any band to tackle that it's a very sort of strange arrangement a song um was a real highlight i felt yeah i uh, i think so i i was nearly in the front row for the hello album um that was amazing great to hear it in order thinking ah i know what's coming next and then to seg from 4500 times into backwater um, nearly by way of Bon Jovi. That's almost what it sounded like. It sounded like we were going to get some living on a prayer or something um, because of that intro to Backwater, the way that they did it. it if you weren't there, it, it doesn't make sense. But honestly, there's some video online of them doing it. And yeah, that that transition. Um, they did the Roadhouse Blues medley at the end. And I've been wondering whether to admit this, and I'm sorry, Gary, I'm sorry, Stephen, but I missed most of the medley. I missed most of it uh, because I went outside intending to listen to the rest of the the set. Again, struggled to find a seat, a little bit sort of overwhelmed, especially after being in the front row for the the Hello album. I'm knackered, you know, nine tracks (laughs) later. Um, nine or ten tracks later and and then I come out and basically I chase an interview Um, I see an interview and I chase it and I don't get it but then a a fan of the Quocast spots me I sat down and talked to them for five or ten minutes and then I went back and they were just into the um, the price of love and this this is the thing Dan I, I find a seat inside uh, ready to see the end of of this um, Roadhouse medley. And they finish, they come off the stage. Stephen, the drummer, walks up to me. He said, what do you think? I said, <laughs> it was good. Luckily, he just walked by, um, just walked away, because I thought, oh, no, I missed the jig. Um, and I'd, I've been wondering whether to admit that or not, but I'm going to, because it just gives me more reason to want to see that band again. Um, because those guys, you're right, were were top notch. And for what I did see, um, Gary's Rossi, it wasn't copycat. He had enough of his own authenticity and personality in there. He wasn't trying to play everything note for note. And I realized some bands get off on that wonderful, it's a recreation. With them, they played it their way. And they they kind of took bits of quo that weren't always obvious and and did it their own way, which I thought was was marvellous. Well, I would definitely like to see uh, bands at the the next one try and tackle uh, an entire album. Maybe something like Just Supposing would be quite an unusual one to hear. And just going back to the the medley for Roadhouse Blues, um, I've listened to the Live Alive album so many times Um, and uh, it was almost autopilot for me thinking what's coming up next and they slightly just skimmed the first few chords of uh, margarita time i thought 
this is very brave <laughs> it's convention and they they skipped it they then went on to the next um it, it was very subtle how they did it it just raised so many eyebrows it was quite funny <laughs> i know that gary has said he wants to play tommy in a future thing. <laughs> I, I think that's what he should do. I think that should almost become their things you can't play in a Quo tribute band tribute slot. Just slot it into the Roadhouse medley and instead of da 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 da, just go da 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 da. That's what, <laughs> that's what you need. Um, so, yeah, well done um, on, on that. So, yeah, the next band on the bill there were the middle night men now i need to clear up something uh, with the middle night men because there was a lot of controversy over whether they should have been there or not and i can tell you they most definitely should because the i think the the big thing about it was it has nothing to do with the quo convention no connection to quo whatsoever what are they doing here well the middle night men um was founded by a group of people, one of which um, is Leon Cave, current drummer with Status Quo and has drummed with them for well over a, a decade nearly. Andy Brook is another. He is currently France's personal audio engineer and did Backbone and a few other releases in recent years. And basically every time Francis does something or every time the band do something, Andy is there in, in some capacity. He's also done some stuff on tour, and you will be seeing him on stage with Francis next year as part of his acoustic tour. And lastly, Nick Hughes is a friend of Leon's from way back and played on Leo Bryan's live um, launch party for his album recently, which was produced by you guessed it, Francis Rossi and Andy Brooke. So the Middle Night Men, Dan, was it was it a gamble that you think paid off? Absolutely. I think it did. It, at this point for the weekend, I think it was the perfect slot for them because it was a refreshing change. In previous years, and I, I shall say I've got nothing against them at all, but uh, for a couple of um, conventions running, we had um, a band called Riders Creed open the event which i thought was a really odd choice because you know I, I, the drive down they're listening to quo gearing themselves up quo weekend and then not to hear quo as the first band i was thought mm, feels a bit odd but yes the middle night men it was just a refreshing change at that point um i normally like my music sort of fairly simple stripped down uh, rock music you know one or two guitars and so I was filled with a bit of trepidation seeing about nine musicians come out on, on stage because it can sound a bit cacophonous, but that wasn't the case at all with these guys. It was thoroughly entertaining, really good musicianship. Um, I went straight away, bought um, the studio album and live album that they have for sale there that I've been listening to in the car since, along with Dog of Two Head. And um, it's really good well-produced stuff there are different influences that are quite obvious in there uh, there's one track that sounds a bit like the uh, ronettes you know bye bye baby um there's um one that sounds quite sort of meatloaf orientated because of the female backing i suppose um but there's um also uh, another one in there that's um 
I think they, who did they say? Um, Alice Cooper. Um, they said they uh, sent one of the songs off to him. I could just tell, you know, it was that kind of vibe. So just very competent musicians, clearly enjoying themselves. And the whole crowd did. Uh, the room, everyone was up standing to that one especially with uh their version of long-legged linda which <sighs> yeah was was incredible to do that with brass instrument on on the stage as well uh certainly i don't think any any uh, tribute bands ever done that before um and i remember nick kind of um hinting to me that he was going to do that uh and i i've I was waiting for it throughout the entire set. I was sat there like, yep, I know these tracks from there. And I even did the clapping during the B, um, BA Baby, uh, which was great. Enjoyed all of those those songs. I've been listening to them for quite some time now. And then it went in. It, he just came on the stage and he said, uh, Leon's been educating me. Here <laughs> is something I think you will like. And I think it took the audience just a little bit you know maybe maybe five five seconds ten seconds and then the moment those vocals kicked in it was like the whole place woke up because suddenly you know i get it you've never seen a band before it's not like with the other bands where they're playing stuff you've been listening to for 50 years so it wasn't going to be a sea of voices um but the moment that long-legged linda came on and they started singing the whole place. Yeah. And I'm yeah. so glad that they got that moment, that it wasn't just an entire set of some people staring at them, that there was that moment where they sang back and they knew all the words. And the thing is, I, I think judging by that performance, the next time um, the middle night men or even, you know, just Leon by himself, the next time that they get booked and they play one of those other tracks, people will know it because I think it made people seek it out. And I get why people said, oh, it's got nothing to do with status quo. It broke up, you know, the the constant sea of quo up until that point. And actually, I think it helped me to enjoy what came afterwards, because then it was like, you know, we've had a bit of a refresher. I got to see something I wouldn't see normally. The stage, the way that, everybody was dressed and the 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 guy playing bass with the blue and white <laughs> face who was miming the words to everything <laughs> watching him do that to yeah. long-legged linda was like this is this i'm surprised that's not in their set normally mm, yeah uh, absolutely clearly having the time of their lives and i really really do hope they do well I hope so, because I think they're all friends, you know, and it was something that was born out of lockdown, I think, or certainly just before it. Um, so I do wish them the best of luck. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them again. I think it'd be really interesting. And I look forward to hearing uh, the second album uh, because they basically practiced uh, a bunch of tracks that were not yet recorded. So we're coming into the home stretch here. Baz Barry's spare parts. Now Baz Barry has the unique distinction, doesn't he, Dan, of playing at every convention? Yes, yeah, he does. Um, be it part of John Coughlin's Quo or Predator, 
um, and then yeah, this uh, sort of incarnation, um, which I believe was only their second gig, and I'm glad to say I was at their first. Um, it was in the, the February before lockdown uh, over in Bristol, and they're they're, they're fantastic, <laughs> as as are all the other bands. But Baz, just in terms of a sort of nonchalant stage presence, just has it to a T. It, it's fabulous. And he, he did something quite different on this to introduce all the songs. He said, well, you, you lot know them anyway, so I'm not going to do that. But he dedicated each of the songs. And it was just quite something, really. Um, he was reflective of, um, you know, on his career um, and bands he's played in. And uh, he, he dedicated one to, to John Coughlin's Quo. And he said something along the lines of, look, my time with them, um, you know, some of the best memories ever. Um, he said, love JC to death. He can be a cantankerous bastard, but I love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Jay Fitzpatrick from uh, Heavy Traffic, of course, uh, makes up part of that band. Uh, Jay is a phenomenal guitarist as well as drummer in Heavy Traffic. Um, I'm so jealous. It will, what he again, makes look so easy. Um, he's an absolute natural. I first saw him at the Quo convention years and years ago. It would have been the first, I think. And uh, he just sort of walked on stage. At that time, he must have been probably about 14 or so. And uh, he just did all of 4,500 times and then walked off stage and I just bumped into him saying, that was incredible. Can I buy you a beer? It's like, oh, I can't actually have one yet sort of thing. <laughs> um so yeah, they they, they really um, it was a connoisseur kind of quo set on that. They went right back to the sixties, didn't they? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was like Spicks and Specs, uh, Technicolor Dreams, Little Miss Nothing. Um, yeah. was was like Little Miss Nothing. Where did that come from? I loved the fact that they were doing this sort of late sixties, early seventies stuff. It just helped to fill the gaps nicely. Where I'd felt like, as you said, we'd heard Little Lady most of the time and we'd heard Roll Over, Lay Down, which I think Baz Barry also did. Um, mm. But we heard those wonderful tracks that melodically from the late 60s, without all the phasing and without everything yeah. else, was just marvellous. And yeah. it, it was uh, a really nice laid back and chilled thing. Mm. And then he brought on... Um, a, a member of John Coughlin's Quo and bashed out a Predator classic that confused half of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said something like, um, well, he, here's one that, uh, so I've been playing Francis's songs all night. Here's one I wrote. Francis hasn't done it, but what the hell? <laughs> and uh, yeah, Need Your Love is a brilliant Predator track with a jig in it as well. Then that closed the set. They opened the set with Shy Fly. What a great song. He said, I don't know what Bob Young was on when he wrote this, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, really hope to see them uh, again. Uh, but they're, they're one you know, in the UK I look out for to go to their gigs. So lastly, we need to, we need to address something because over the course of the weekend, we've known that the... Convention was going to start with heavy traffic and end with sound of status. Unfortunately, um, some things happened 
and Sound of Status uh, couldn't play that night. Half of them had a little bit of an adventure and, to cut a long story short, couldn't get over from Calais. Heavy traffic, because Sound of Status couldn't do it, decided to close. Now, I do have a couple of pieces of audio for you because a lot of things happened. I asked Jack from Heavy Traffic how they came to close the show. It was on Friday. We knew Sound of States were having problems. Uh, Joachim, and forgive me if you're watching this, I forgot the other guy's name, that couldn't make it. We knew they were having problems. We didn't know they couldn't make it at that point. They were trying to organise, maybe they could get a flight from France or they could drive to France, get a flight, something like that. There was kind of whispers like, oh, maybe, maybe we could play a set with them or they would maybe steal two of us to join the other two Sound of States guys. Um, then Saturday, it was kind of confirmed that they definitely weren't going to make it. Um, it just was going to be impossible. And then it was kind of a thing where we need to sort out, are we giving them Reese and Jay to go play with them? Uh, we kind of decided, well, we're here as a band. We kind of want to play as a band. So we kind of had a meeting with them and said, well, we'd like to do it. I mean, obviously, we want them to be on stage with us. So that's why we ended up getting them up. So we said, we'd like to play as a band because, you know, we're quite a tight-knit band. We're very very great friends. We kind of feel like we were leaving maybe people out if we didn't get them involved. But we said, absolutely, if we do that, we will get you on stage because it would be so un unfair for them not to play, especially when they've travelled quite a distance, you know, and, and they've been looking forward to it for so long. So that, that, them two went away and spoke about it. Um, and they said, yeah, we're, we're happy to do that, you know, as long as you get us up to kind of finish the set off. I think it was nice to get to do the big finale with everyone on stage and everybody's there for that. And, and you know, people get to see them singing and we played one of their songs. So I think they were quite happy with, given the circumstances, the result. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of, most of Saturday we were just going about talking to Yvonne, talking to the, the Sam Status guys, just trying to work out what they want, basically. Um, if not, I think they were going to get Jeff Rich up maybe for a couple of songs, but it was kind of hard trying to get that organised and, there was a couple of different names floating about. And I think a lot of people came up to us and said they wanted to see us play again. So that was quite nice. It's quite a nice feeling as well. And you managed to pull out even more rare ones on that. I mean, who who decided on the solo version of Caroline, also known as the shuffle version, and very particular because the way that Reese sings it, the live at St. Luke's, version where did that come from i'm assuming it's f uh, to avoid repetition well we, we yeah we wanted to avoid repetition as best we could so obviously we still kept stuff in like the mystery medley and you know obviously we wanted to open with caroline but we tried to think what could we do different so caroline you think well there's always the shuffle version and it's always been reese's dream to perform that i'm sure um and he's got it all nailed he does all the little things that francis says and all the little intonations in his voice and the little finger wags and everything like that he's he's obviously watched that a thousand times probably a day so and he wanted to go and get uh go into town and buy a big jacket like francis walks out with and and walk out with that on but he ultimately never had time to go find one but we just thought let's just try and do different stuff stuff like creeping up on you we've done that before um we knew that we knew how to play it it was a shame gary had to go home because uh obviously it was great that Brian drove down at three in the morning to come help us. Uh, and then, yeah, told us he's never heard the shuffle version. Of it. <laughs> he's never really watched or listened to it. Um, I think Brian did great considering he didn't know it. He, he, he'd obviously practiced a little bit in the morning and yeah, just as a group, we kind of decided what songs do we know that we haven't done? 
and just kind of pieced together a random set, tried to order it roughly how, how we think it should go, and I think it sounded all right in the end. And do you know which were the ones that sort of sound of status put into the, the mix? I mean, obviously, it'd be their original song. That was one of them. Were there any more? Yeah, so the last five, not including Hold You Back at the end, because we did that just as a kind of, because everyone was dying for one more song. So we had, I'm, I'm going to forget this now because I don't have the set list with me, but it was Paper Plane, uh, not in this order, but there was Bye Bye Johnny, I Left Home, uh, Rock Is Rolling, and Can't Give You More. They were all songs from their set list. So we asked in the meeting to see their set list and said, well, you guys, you know, we'll, we'll pick songs from your set list to play with you because it would be unfair to just throw songs on them they don't know. And then Hold You Back, we just jumped into that without even telling them at the end and they seemed to, you know, they, they played it perfectly. So, uh, yeah, it worked out well. But they were their songs from their set list. That's why we wanted to do that with them because, uh, you know, they've practiced them songs. It did strike me as I was watching you during both sets does it knacker your voice out trying to sing like Rick Parfit? Yes. <laughs> People will have noticed. Maybe, especially in one man band, it is you just you feel like you you know you look like a beetroot at the end of it. It's you know oh, just some of the heights that he got to, and for how long he would stay there as well before coming back down to another normal bit. Even the harmonies in say like the mystery medley. Stuff like rolling home, he's going right up to the top like that, you know, about as high as I can go to do the harmonies. So, yeah. And then my voice after that, and going around talking to everyone in that room, pretty much having to shout. By the time we came to my set on Sunday, I was, yeah, my voice was kind of going, but you could probably tell, but it, it was, you know, we were there for a bit of fun and I enjoyed it. So that's the main thing. And what did you think when you came off the stage after? after that weekend and obviously having to play that second time and having to play hold you back again as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, we played that a total of three times <laughs> over the course of the weekend, hold you back. Obviously once on Friday and twice on Sunday, it's just, you kind of just, you try to take it in because it goes so fast when it, you know, especially when you've been looking forward to it for that long. Cause I came in 2019 with my dad and I remember like looking up to it and thinking, Oh, it'd be awesome to play something like that. And kind of almost thinking, Will the opportunity arise? Obviously, I wasn't in heavy traffic at that point. So when you come off stage like that, you think that you know, it's been at least three years since I've dreamed of being up there and playing in front of that many Quo fans. And you just try and take it in, try and look around and just take a mental picture of it. And, and uh, you know, us as a band, we were quite emotional after the Friday set because we'd been working so hard towards it. Quite a few tears we've actually shed backstage. It was kind of quite a nice moment for us all as a band. Um, so, yeah, you just kind of just, you know, you're always happy with it. Just try and take it in and remember it and, you know, because you can't go back in time and do it again. So just kind of take it in as it happens. That's me, Jamie Dyer, talking to Jack from the band Heavy Traffic. Now, we know that Gary, the bassist in the aforementioned band, couldn't make it. So they enlisted the help of Brino from State of Quo. Here, Brino tells me the story about how he got involved. Well... Leading up to the convention, it was um, it was quite it was quite somber for me because I, I love going down, being party to what goes on at the convention. You know, it's a great great weekend. Um, unfortunately, we, we we played the last one. I think it was two thousand and nineteen, um, and it was absolutely incredible. You know, it was fabulous. And um, so I was watching all the posts on Facebook and and uh, you know 
different posts going on saying, oh, five days to go, three days to go, two days to go, we're on our way. And I was, you know, even in work where I am now, I was saying to the lads, I should be going there, you know, it'd be great to be playing that. But I also understand that uh, Yvonne and Paul have an immense job keeping all the quote tribute bands happy. So we we, we sort of accept that, you know, we, we, we may play one year and then we'll play the, another year. Uh, and it's just about, you know, you know, there are so many fantastic bands out there, you know, that are, uh, should all have a piece of the cake, you know, so we understand that. But nevertheless, I, I still felt really bad that I wasn't going to be bit down there part of it, you know. On Saturday, um, on second, the second day of the uh, event, uh, I, I go to watch uh, my, my lads play football uh, and they play some sort of semi-pro football. So I was sitting there watching, cheering, you know, enjoying the game. And then my phone rang. This is about quarter past three on Saturday afternoon. And uh, it was Jay from uh, Heavy Traffic, Jay Fitzpatrick. And he said, hi, Brian, how are you doing? And I thought, he's going to rub my nose in it. <laughs> you know, and I, it, it, he said, no, what are you doing tomorrow? And I thought, uh, but I just heard about Sound of Status not being able to make it. Well, two of them not being able to make it. And I thought, we could do that. You know, we could get the state of quo down there and get in there and fill the gap, you know. Uh, but it wasn't to be. And Jay said, would you come down and play with me and the, the, the guys from Heavy Traffic? I said, love to, you know. I'd love to go down and be part of it, you know. It didn't even enter my head to think about what I was doing on Sunday. It just, it was just a straight yes. So all the plans that were for Sunday, which I did have, as it turned out, had all gone to the wayside. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I upset my wife when I got home and said, "Look, I'm, um, I'm going to bed now at six o'clock because I need to to get some sleep because I'm going to head out at three o'clock in the morning to uh, Minehead." And um, fortunately for me, uh, Lorna is absolutely great. She's at the top of her hat. She knows, like, my music comes, like, sort of first. And um, she said, yeah, get down there, go and enjoy yourself. So three o'clock comes, and I'm in the shower. Um, shave my head, <laughs> as you do. And, uh, and, and I'm on my way to uh, Minehead. So the sound check for, for, the, for our gig, which was at 10 o'clock at night, the sound check was at 9.30 in the morning, <laughs> which I thought was odd. So I, I arrived, and as soon as I arrived, I, I seen Yvonne, and Yvonne ran over to me now. It was just incredible. She said, oh, you're here, you're here. And um, I, she said, thank you, thank you. And I said, no, no, thank you. You know, it's... To be playing this event is is incredible, you know. Uh, and, she, and she said, well, you're headlining as well. So I said, oh, doesn't matter if I was going on first or last, uh, just being part of the zany crowd that we have as status quo fans, uh, I just needed to be part of it. So I, I quickly did the sound check, and whoever was at the sound check gave us a big cheer, which was nice. And then I thought, I'll go and have a little bit of a sleep and then come back about seven o'clock or eight o'clock, you know, and just chill out before we go on stage. So I did go back to the chalet and I had a bit of a, a, a shower and then I couldn't sleep. So I thought, no, I need to be back in there. 
So I went in and it was just crazy. All the people that were coming up to, to me and saying hello and thanks and all this type of thing. And, they, you know, they couldn't wait to see us play. And uh, it was just fantastic. And that's that's how it all came about, Jamie. It was just amazing. Have you played with heavy traffic before? Or, uh, you know, have you um, had much experience with them? Yeah, I mean, about a year ago, uh, Jamie, uh, I think it was uh, it was Reese actually, who I think gave me the call. Uh, and he said, would, would I like to uh, dep for uh, Gary? Gary's a really good bass player you know he's a really lovely lad as well he said well we're playing in york and i said yeah not a problem so i shot over to york did a gig with them it's fantastic you know they, they've got so much energy and, and because obviously because they're young lads you know that i look like granddad on stage with them but <laughs> that there's such high energy and talented musicians you know that the the, the four of them are, are really good. You know they're the up and coming. Well, they're there. You know they're the lovely lads. You know and and that that particular gig obviously stood me in good stead to go down and and I didn't have any inkling about um, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, we did things in a different fashion, like Caroline. We did the shuffle version, which I've never heard before. <laughs> so uh, it was good to do a sound check with that and then go out and play it live so that went down pretty well um, but yeah yeah, it, it answer to the question is, is yeah I played a, a full gig with them once and then it was really nice to go and do it again especially in front of uh, the Quo Army it was great that shuffle version is from Francis Rossi's solo album um, from 2010 that's right. Yeah. One step at a time. Yeah, I did wonder when it started whether there'd be many people in the audience that would know that because that's quite a deep cut. And that's what I appreciated about Heavy Traffic Set was that the the amount of deep cuts that they were putting into it that weren't like early 70s album tracks that everybody knows. They were more like early 2000s stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, it, yeah, you know, cut me some slack was in there. Um, I mean, Twenty Wild Horses. I, or, or, that was that was quite niche to play. Um, but it, it, you know, when we did the cut, you cut me some slack. That track was, it was pretty good for me because it's very fast paced with Rhino's fingers. It went down. Re- I think it went down really well. Um, but the, the, these lads go down really well because I think everyone appreciates their age. And, and the fact that they are actually playing status quo, that you know, in status quo music, uh, very well, you know, it's it, it's. I just think it's amazing when you see uh, young people in in the status quo crowds now, because we're starting to see even younger. You, know, I mean, I know these lads are in the twenties, which I've seen kids in there now. In in the in the teens, you know, it's fab- fabulous the uh, the age spread that status quo was reaching out to. Oh, definitely. And at the age of thirty-two, as some of the the twenty-year-olds twenties I was meeting at the convention were making me feel just a little bit old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was great for me because when when I arrived at at Minehead, um, the the people, the, the, I mean, there's a lot of friends I have in in the in the status quo world, 
Um, but the new people that I met was un unbelievable. And, you know, even when I got back home on... Because um, after the gig, I, I just said my bye-byes to people. And then I was on back on the road coming home because I had to be in work at 6 o'clock the next morning. So, so when you talk about fast turning out, it was really... Fun. A lot of people were saying, you're mad. You're mad for going home after being here all day and then playing a gig and then you're back on the road. But it's just something I have to do. But when you're coming away from a, a fantastic gig like that, you get home, even if it's four hours away, you get home on adrenaline. You know, the adrenaline kicks in and it keeps you awake all the way home because all the way home, I thought of every step uh, from my journey when I arrived at nine to when I left the stage at midnight. Uh, so that whole, I relived that whole journey back home. So it was, um, it was fa absolutely fabulous. But I have to say, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the big factors that I, uh, I, I was looking forward to is one of my friends who's... Um, who, who was at the gig and you know i'd seen him making a few posts there's a, a guy called ray williams who's just come through a really traumatic time you know with uh, cancer and, and and all that business and he's been supported fabulously by his, his his wife and his family well it was great when i walked in and met him there's a few pictures of me with ray and his family with the guitar <laughs> you know rhino's guitar, white rhino guitar so um, there's a, a lot of them photo about, photos knocking about, but I, I sort of dedicated my um, my shift on stage with heavy traffic today, this particular time. So uh, so that was a, a it was a marvelous event. That's me, Jamie Dyer, talking to Brino. Um, Dan, what was it like to see heavy traffic and half of Sound of Status? close the show plus brino bearing in mind this is a double shift for heavy traffic jay fitzpatrick it will be a triple shift because he was in basbury spare parts as well so they managed to pull out the bag doing a set um which probably was 80 percent different than their opening set uh they started with uh, francis rossi's solo version of caroline so a very different kind of thing there. They played uh, 20 Wild Horses. That went down an absolute treat. Again, for something a bit different, done very well. And so we had this really good mixed set. And then for the last half hour, half of Sound of Status got on stage and they swapped around instruments and so on. And um, they did one of their numbers. I went home. That's the one from them. And then uh, a couple of choir numbers, which went down a treat. And then uh, a case of just things getting... Um, did Aidan Johnson come on stage again for that? It was just it, more and more things going on. To, to ramp up the weekend like that, I just thought, uh, well, they did a great job opening the show, but to, to close it as well, it's like they'd matured over the weekend. It was really, really good. Oh, it was it was fantastic. Um, and I think compared to everything else, I think that last set, I was just like, tomorrow I've got to get on a on a 
coach and a train and go home. I'm, I don't care how much I'm hurting right now in my body physically. I am just going to go on it. And I think I jumped into the middle of the, of the pack. And I think we were just in the middle air guitaring for about an hour. It was an amazing thing that I shall take with me forever. It, it was just, uh, everybody knew the words to everything. It was a masterclass set. Uh, that those guys, Heavy Traffic, are just so together. And the fact that they said, we're going to go on as a band, play a few numbers, and then bring on Sound of Status, half of Sound of Status, and finish out the gig. And at the end, there was like half a dozen guitars on the thing, all bashing out by by Johnny, all playing the key of C, and it was fucking amazing i never swear on this podcast but it was it was amazing i also felt that the previous night you had john coglin's quo's last gig and then to have heavy traffic finishing the whole weekend to me it just it felt it sounds corny but it was almost like the baton was being passed and i just know that the convention will carry on um, and, and be there in future years because there are, are these fresh bands, the next generations getting into the music, which is fantastic. So that brings us really to the end of the, the convention, Dan. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you had any favorites because I know that every band did their, their thing to, to keep that quo legacy alive it was clear that the audience was full of people who absolutely adored Quo because the most obscure songs, when everybody's singing Little Miss Nothing, and you think this this is so random considering most of the time on the Quo cast, I barely talk about the 60s because no one the I speak to is old enough to have been there when it was first out. So it was marvellous to hear so many people enthused. Um, are you going next time? Of course. Yeah, I, I shall definitely be there. Hats off to all the organisers and to say that it is so appreciated uh, what you guys do to, to get such an eclectic mix. Um, there, I'm sure there must be so much competition uh, of bands um, trying to play. I heard uh, a figure over the weekend that must be over 500 Quo tribute bands around now. So... Yeah, the competition is tough and yeah, they must all want to play it. But it was a really good mix uh, that I brought on board. Um, so thank you. So to round out this convention special, I have a little more content for you. Personally, it was amazing to meet so many fans at the convention who had travelled from all over Europe to attend. For the podcast, I spoke to Quofan Benjamin, who had travelled from Denmark, firstly asking him about why he made the journey. Well, I've been a Quofan since I was nine years old. My dad, my dad came into my room and so showed me down, down, and I was completely hooked to it. So this is uh, this is very big to be here at uh, Butlins with all these Quofans with the same we share the same interest. You told me that you travelled from North Denmark. You took a journey to South, and then where, where from there? I mean, how long did it take you? Um, I took a plane from uh, Bilund in Denmark uh, to London Heathrow, and then we travelled with bus all the way to Butlins here. So it was a long journey. <laughs> and you're you're in a 
band yourself, aren't you, in a Quo band? Yes, I am, actually. We're called uh, Almost Quo. We're from Denmark mm-hmm. as well. Uh, we've been around since uh, 2018, and then COVID came, and now we're starting up again and gigging. This weekend, we've seen loads of bands. Is there any that have stuck out to you? Um, yeah, I really like Big Fat Mama from Sweden. And uh, also, um, what's they called? Uh, Quote. They're from here, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like him. And Heavy Traffic as well. They're good. Oh, Heavy Heavy Traffic opened they did, the event yeah. and they're, they're due to close it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's quite a, a feat. And I was hearing them sound checking there. It looks like they're changing up the set list. I mean, when, when it comes to program with, with almost quote, how many songs do you have in, in reserve? If we, um, I think a normal set is probably two hours, uh, two times 45 minutes. Um, then we have about 20 songs and 10 extras if uh, if we're gonna play another set um, we'll drag in some of that songs we got in the in the case yeah suitcase yeah that was Benjamin from the band almost quo talking to me Jamie Dyer for the quocast I'm sure that we'll hear more from Almost Quo very soon. I'd love to have them as a guest on the podcast. So to end this very special episode, I had the chance to catch up with Steve of Rossi Social Media, who we've had on the podcast before, and his partner Nikki to talk about their roles at the convention. Looking back over your weekend at the quo convention what's going through your mind like what what kind of jumps out at you the feeling of it just it was just good to be back with the quo army we had to delay it by a year because of covid and then it was 13 months of intense advertising on social media so it was just good to be there and just enjoy it with everybody and nikki you were working as a volunteer (laughs) and you're not a traditional member of the Quo Army. What what did you make of the whole thing? Well, when Steve said, oh, come along, you can be my assistant. So I was supposed to be sitting in the pit the whole time, just sitting there, listening to the music, taking photos and stuff. And within about half an hour, I got drafted onto the merch stand. So uh, it was very much a baptism of fire. But I had an absolutely fantastic weekend. The people were lovely, um, ridiculously busy um but but it it was just fantastic it was a really good experience and after sitting in in the pit steve for for all that time how are your ears (laughs) well (laughs) i'm going deaf as it is so it was quite a comfortable noise for me (laughs) but it was just good to hear it all again but in fact it was louder in the pit than it was on the side of the stage so I, i did go up to the side a fair bit as well. How many photos did you take over the course of the weekend? Because when I caught up with you about a day in, you said you'd taken 2,000 in one night. It, it's over 5,000. I mean, I've just finished editing the first heavy traffic performance, and there's 625 that are good to go from that performance alone. Wow. Um, on the subject of heavy traffic, how good were they to open up the convention and then close it again. Obviously, we're guests. They were just absolutely amazing. I mean, their attention to detail and being able to step in when Sound of Status couldn't be there, it was just remarkable. Mm. 
I mean, all the lads in that band are extremely talented. Very, very, very talented. Yeah, I think you can say that about all the bands, though. I don't think I saw one where I thought this is below par or anything. Like it was, it, the quality was extremely high. Yeah, and everybody cares about the music. Everyone who's in a quote tribute band wants to get it right. And it's almost like a baptism of fire playing at the, the convention because you are playing to a legitimate quo audience. And, uh, yeah, every one of them pulled it off. You say a legitimate quo audience, Steve, but Nikki isn't a member of the traditional quo audience. <laughs> what, what, did you, what did you make of it, Nikki? Like, what, what, was the, what was going through your mind? I just, obviously, there were some... There was some repetition, which you get. There's there's the crowd favourites, the things that people always expect. But I didn't expect there to be quite as much variety. Um, and it was different styles and things. Obviously, having been with Steve for just over a year, um, I've I've heard quite a lot of crow <laughs> in that time. And obviously, I was aware of them anyway. But um, but it was just the variety. And also, it was nice to see some of the younger generation coming through, bearing in mind the age of of the people actually in Quo now um, and a lot of the fans. It was nice to see some younger ones in mm. their in their sort of mid-20s and things still enjoying it and also getting a huge kick out of it from the audience. And it was it a was very receptive audience. Um, and I think that's been the case of a lot of things with the arts after COVID. Everyone's just been really happy to see either audience or performers, whichever side of the stage you're in. Steve, knowing that you've been to previous conventions at least one anyway from my memory how did that this compare to to those it was very much everyone banded together for this one the artists the 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 uh, the audience the crew it was just one big effort from everybody it, it was it was very unified i just think everybody was just really pleased to be there you know if i could go back now i would <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it it was very euphoric. I think. Did you get much signed, Steve? Because I saw you in the queue a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I got Jeff to sign a couple of bits and Leon, but that was about it, really. I just didn't get much time, um, particularly with Leon signing. I was there snapping pictures of everybody because of time constraints. Yeah, Jeff signed my In the Army Now album. Didn't get a chance to see the Middle Night Men after their set because I was in the pit for the next band, but. Uh, yeah, but everybody was just great. You know, at the end of the day, I was there to take pictures. It's about the fans. And, you know, I'm glad everybody got to meet the people they wanted to meet. Yeah. I I wanted to meet Leon and I wanted to get something signed, but they didn't say anything in advance about whether there was going to be a signing. And so I only had a limited amount of room in my bag and I had Backbone in my hand here um thinking shall i take it shall i not just oh. in case and i'm like but i can't fit anything else in my bag really i need to save room and hmm. so i put it back and then the moment i saw it on facebook i was like oh no you you know um expletive <laughs> yeah um and i i was talking to somebody else there and i was like I'd, i would have loved to have got backbone signed but i've left it at home like 130 odd miles away so, you know, that was unfortunate, but I can understand, like, maybe it hadn't been organized in advance 
um, unlike some of the others. It, I think it was more the opportunity presented itself. Yeah, um, right. Which is which is why we had a lot of people coming up to the to the merch store going, "I need something to sign." So well, we gave quite a lot of the little leaflets away. So just just take that. It's fine. It's fine. So yes, yeah, so you're not the only one who had a bit of a panic about it. <laughs> the middle night men. Yes. Those that are slaying it because it's not free chords and the truth. And, uh, you know, apparently has nothing to do with uh, the band Status Quo, despite having uh, a Leon. member of Status Quo in it, plus yes. uh, the audio engineer yes. and <laughs> and a guy who's worked with Francis Rossi-related projects, has yeah. nothing to do with Status Quo. Oh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, the good thing about the convention, Yvonne does try bringing in a band that doesn't play Quo music, but has a Quo relation in it. Um, I mean, for two years on the trot, there was Rick Parfit Jr. and stuff. The Middle Night Men done a fantastic set. I mean, their rendition of Long-Legged Linda at the end was just mind-blowing. It was really, really nice to hear that song live and with their spin on it. You know, and anyone who says it's not quo-related can um, do the proverbial. <laughs> You're never going to please everybody. I think that's that's the upshot. That is definitely, I think, the the thing to point out here is that there's such a, it's 60 years of oh, history. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I, th I think no band kind of said that better than when Baz Barry came on and started playing Spicks and Specks and all this other stuff. And you're like, but this, again, if a non-quo person came in, would go, well, that's nothing to do with status quo. It's like, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it you is. know, you'll get, you'll get some sort of Bee Gees hardcore fan going, that's a Bee Gees song. <laughs> Well, they both done it, but Quo done it in the UK first because it was only released in Australia for the Bee Gees. And you know, Quo's version's better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I was. I chatted to a lot of people over the weekend, obviously from where I was, um, and there were a couple of people going, "No one ever plays the early stuff anymore," and they were getting quite upset about it. So once once Steve had explained what uh, what Baz was doing. Then I thought, well, actually, that will please, that will really, really cheer up the the people I was speaking to. So, that was oh quite yeah, nice I mean, hear. when bastard little miss nothing. Oh, that was just awesome, <laughs> wasn't it though? Oh, <laughs> wasn't it though? Yeah, it, yeah. I, I I nearly had tears at the end of that one. <laughs> I even stood up in the pit and you know and just did that. <laughs> it's not fair to say are there any highlights, Steve? But do you have any highlights? I've got highlights from every band, shall we say? I mean. Seeing Heavy Traffic doing Jam Side Down and songs like that, big highlight. Dogger Two Head were just a highlight in themselves. They were such a joy to watch. I mean, Baz Barry, that that was just awesome. I mean, that that one completely blew my mind. Um, Quode playing Hello from start to finish. Yeah, that that was just amazing. And the way they seeked Backwater from forty five hundred times was just incredible. I mean, it was one of the few times I went to the dressing room after the performance this time because it was busy for me. And I said, that was flipping good. <laughs> Using another <laughs> word. But I mean, Big Fat Mama for me, that they were just absolutely outstanding. And they had the crowd eating out of their hands. Mm. I mean, my little girl was in, in attendance as well. And when the bass player jumped off the stage and gave her a plectrum and got her to strum the guitar <laughs> while he was playing it, that... That would just stay with me forever. <laughs> it was almost like for 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 me and, and her mother passing on the baton to her type thing. The closing um, set from Heavy Traffic, where 
the guys from Sound of Status came on, oh, and then I yeah. think literally nearly every rhythm guitarist <laughs> yes. um, came even, on at the end. Even Lloyd had a go. <laughs> I mean, that was that was loud. I was nearly <laughs> I was nearly in the in the front row for that. Mm. And the power that was coming, like all these people playing C. Yes. <laughs> it was surprisingly quiet on stage, yes. though. <laughs> Do you think a couple were turned down or was it all uh, was it all systems I, go? I think it was all systems go, <laughs> particularly from front of house. I, I did like that, that part in Heavy Traffic set uh, where they, they threw out that Sea Cruise cover. Yeah. And then when they went in, they did the same thing for the second set. And I was like, oh, we're getting Sea Cruise again. And they started doing rocking all over the world. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, they were really good for throwing in some obscure newish ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, starting off with Francis's version of Caroline for their second set was just the icing on the cake. Which Brino tells me he'd never heard before it before he'd actually played with them on stage. Yes. With it. So <laughs> we, we, saw, we saw the sound check when when everyone if sort of turned up first thing in the morning um, for mm-hmm. to, and they were just sort of trying to work out between them. And obviously, when you've got a band that's played together for a long time, there's lots of visual cues and and everything. But I mean, Jay, who was playing the drums, he was watching everyone so intently when they actually came to do their performance because no one quite knew what was going on. They had a vague idea. But he was just paying so much close attention to everyone just mm. to make sure that, that everything kept on going as it should do. But yeah, I mean, it was also nice to hear Cut Me from Slack from Backbone as well. Really, really good to have something really up to date. And everybody in the crowd knowing the, all the words, even <laughs> yeah. to the most obscure songs. I must admit, when Quode went into the uh, Roadhouse medley and they started the intro to Margarita Time, I wish they played that up. The, the whole thing but they just done the intro moved on to living on an island it was like ah damn it <laughs> you're probably the only person who was who's wishing for that <laughs> well time. a couple of people afterwards said to me they started to go into singing margarita time and it got cut <laughs> i think it would have been a welcomed addition it seems like they're in a bit of a tradition um a, a bit of a, a a transition at the moment where they're they've spent a few years at the convention focusing on a very particular period and now they're just broadening it broadening broadening it out a little bit um and in another two years you never know you might even get the margarita time medley um (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it it was nice hearing the mystery medley this time rolling home and things like that yeah so there it the mixture of songs this time was spot on. Absolutely spot on. That was Steve and Nikki talking to me, Jamie Dyer, for this very special episode of the Quocast. And if you'd like to hear the full interviews with most of my interviewees, uh, where I've had to make edits for time, then please uh, do check back because I will be posting them on the feed at a future date so that brings us to the end of this episode um what are my thoughts really well having had some time to think about it there's lots of things that come to mind uh the meeting people the seeing lots of bands do different interpretations of the music that i love 
and uh, Jackie Linton introducing Quode, which we haven't mentioned. Uh, he also did again and again with them. Uh, meeting Jackie Linton was great. Getting things signed, uh, interviewing people for this podcast there and afterwards. And I'd like to take this opportunity before I go uh, to say thank you to those people that I met at the convention who were so kind about the podcast. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes when you are sat here talking into a microphone, talking to somebody, you can almost forget that there are people on the other side of the screen that are listening to you from all over the world. Uh, it seemed the amount of people who came up to me and went, you're that Quocast man, which was amazing. And I I made some great friends at the convention that uh, that I look forward to seeing and speaking to again. Uh, would I go to the convention again? Yes, if I was able to, because, um, you know, this at the moment for me felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity for many reasons but i'm glad that i went to this one even if i don't go to any more because it's just such a memorable weekend and i'd like to thank um yvonne paul and all the people involved in the organization of this wonderful event that celebrates uh, the greatest rock and roll band in the land so there we are what else can i say thank you so much for listening and bye-bye for now.